I just want to say to every human being out there, screw those evangelicals. They're wrong. They're wrong in what they're teaching. It is wrong at its core. It is rotten at its core. And God is judging it in our lifetime. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? Challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. What knucklehead, mush-for-brains evangelical leaders are trying to, uh, to overthrow Trump? It's a special kind of dumb and calling yourself... A Christian. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at NPEPodcast.com. Good morning, everyone. Glad you're with us. We're going to talk about Matthew 5 today. And David says, I love your perspectives on Christianity and Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. It's so funny. Before I get into it, I, I have, I have, you know, I have a few of the regular trolls that like to come at me. And I kind of like, gosh, that's really sad to think that that's, that's your life of like, I'm going to jump on TikTok and attack this pastor today. Um, but it just kind of is the way it is. Good morning, Chuck. Good to see you. Um, yeah, Chuck says a lot, seems like a lot less of your videos. Um, truth, the suppress it. Not sure what that means. But yeah, so I have this guy, his name, he goes by Wooden Preacher on on TikTok. And boy, he's really been coming at me. And today he was just so upset because because I told a young man, you know, the most important thing is you be you. You just know that you're valuable and important. And he was like, you need to learn the real Jesus. And so he, he made me think of we were going to be talking about Matthew 5. And Matthew 5 is one of my favorite chapters now in the Bible. And, and that favorite changes all the time. Thank you, Chuck. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't know that TikTok's trying to suppress what I'm trying to say or anything. They just decided like, oh, we, we don't want this type of content to be prevalent anymore. So we're going to flip a switch and, and douse it. And I, I don't I don't feel oppressed by that. Um, I just think they made a decision. I just wish they would tell us like, hey, we've decided your your content isn't what we want to be known for. And just let us know so we can make... Uh, we can make those decisions. Ruben says, just to let you know, I found an affirming church. Awesome. Good for you. Adele says, hello. Good to see you. Kristen says, the real Jesus and God is love. So yeah, this wooden preacher today, he was like, I, you know, where did you get trained? You need to really learn who Jesus is and getting saved is the most important thing. And and it's just funny. And so I knew we were going to be in Matthew 5 today. And one of the reasons I love Matthew 5 is when Jesus was teaching Matthew 5, the religious people knew he was coming after them, and it made them really angry. And I think today Matthew 5 is condemning our church and our religious people in our culture today, but they don't know it. 
at least in the first century, the religious people are like, he's talking about us and we're going to get him for it. And today, you know, today's religious people read Matthew 5 and they're like, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he's, it's talking about them and they don't even know it. Uh, Sub for GP says, how do I get involved in your coaching? Great question. Send me a DM, please. Uh, just DM me uh, on TikTok and, and we'll talk about, we'll fix that. Um, yeah, just send me a direct message and we'll, we'll set up a one-on-one -on -one and I'll kind of walk you through it. Um, and I have a website you can look at too. So DM me, or you can go to pastor-paul.com, contact me through the con the events contact page on there. All right, let's get into Matthew five. Now, again, I'm going to, I'm probably going to not look at your comments for a little while here because I want to get into the teaching and, and then uh, I'll go for about 20, 25 minutes or so. And then I'll just do Q&A with you guys. So if you have a question, there's that question box on TikTok at the bottom of the page, and you can put your question in there. And then it doesn't get lost in the scrolling. And I will check it out there. So yeah, if you have a question you want me to deal with after the teaching, put it in that, that Q&A box at the bottom of the screen. It's the box with the question mark in it. So it seems pretty self-evident, but sometimes we need to point that out. Um, so old hippie says, I can't buy this buy. All right, cool. Well, thank you for just being honorable and not coming in and trying to blow things up like some do. And hopefully we have some of you out there moderating today and, uh, Kristen muted him. So yeah. Um, and I appreciate that old hippie said, this doesn't work for me. I'm out of here. And that's better than what we have some people do, isn't it? Um, so again, I see a question there, Adele. If you want to ask a question, put it in the question box because it'll get lost in the comment scroll. So let's read some of Matthew 5. So we started out um, at, uh, no, any a question can be anything that you want to ask a question about. I'll try to hit them all if I can when we're finished. By the way, here's my nonpartisan evangelical mug. I did an incredible interview with a man named Doug Paget from Boat Common Good on the podcast this week. You've got to hear it. Go to pastor-paul.com. It'll be on the, you just scroll down a little bit on the homepage and it's a podcast about Christian nationalism and you got to hear it. It is fantastic. So Matthew 5, we already went through the part of Matthew 5, which is called the Beatitudes. And now we're coming to what Jesus said. After that, that thing, one of, one of the things I told you last week about Matthew 5, in fact, let's just go back at the start of the chapter. Uh, it says, seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and then it goes. And so the importance of, of verses 1 and 2 in the chapter are, there are questions sometimes, like, did Jesus preach this to everybody, or was this just to the, the disciples being those 12 guys? Because it says um, his disciples came to him. But the thing is, that word disciples, like he had 12 inner circle disciples, but Jesus had a group, probably some have estimated about 120 people who followed him around on a regular basis. He had women in that group. He had women that helped support him financially. Probably Herod's wife was one of the people that followed him around. One of Herod's wives followed him around, helped support Jesus financially. So there was a bigger group around him. 
but but the really important thing here is when he when it says he went up on the mountain it probably wasn't a mountain as much as as a small hill and he went up on the hillside and sat down that's how rabbis would teach in that culture the rabbis would sit and the people would stand and listen as opposed to today where everybody sits and and the preacher uh, gets up front and preaches but the rabbi would be seated and everybody would stand around the rabbi who would then teach and it says and he opened his mouth well we would say well of course he opened his mouth but but some say and i believe this that when it says and he opened his mouth it means he he opened his mouth wide like he was yelling and projecting as if to a large crowd so he didn't have microphones and all the setup that i have here today and so jesus had to go up on the hillside where he could project over a large crowd and so i think jesus was speaking to a large crowd and there are some even that say this is a sermon that jesus would have taught and did teach on a regular basis if this wasn't a one-time sermon but this was sort of his go-to uh this is what i'm going to teach when i'm when i'm around so let's go to matthew 5 verse 13 and this is Jesus talking to this crowd on the hillside. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Okay, let me just stop here and, and say again, Jesus is teaching against the religious system of the day. And I think if, as we read this today, read this with the mind of what would Jesus say to the religious system of today? I believe his goal was to disrupt the status quo of culture. And this culture that he was in was this religiously uh, controlled culture of people believing, well, you know, God only loves us, our nationality, our religion, our country. And because Rome has taken us over, he wants to overthrow them. And Jesus was like, hey, guys, you're, you're focused on the wrong things. Your religious system is wrong. And you're so focused on maintaining your nationality and your religion and your country against this government. You've lost track of what you're really supposed to be talking about, which is connecting people to the creator so that culture will change through these people being transformed. So as you listen to this, think about this sort of right-wing Christianity we have in the evangelical church today and in other parts of the Christian church, but I'm an evangelical and I really see it prevalent in our group. What if this is speaking against them? Does it make sense that this could be saying, hey, evangelicals, you need to change? You're supposed to be the salt of the earth, but you've lost your saltiness. You've become the dividers of culture, not the healers of culture anymore. So what good is salt that doesn't have saltiness? We just throw it out. It's worthless. And, and so think of this, that I believe this is speaking against the status quo religious system of the day. So it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Now, I was taught that this means you need to be witnessing for Jesus and trying to win people to Christ all the time. That's what letting your light shine is, not hiding that belief under a bushel. But it says here, let your light shine that they may see your good works. 
it doesn't say let your light shine so you can convert them to your religion. It says let that goodness of the creator come pouring out of you so that people see Christ through what you do rather than what you say. I think it's a really messed up way we look at it. Like, let your light shine so you can win people to Christ and get them to confess Jesus as their Lord and Savior. When in fact, it's saying, no, let your light shine so that people can see what you do and be drawn to the Father who is in heaven. Give glory to the Father who is in heaven. So I, I think, wow, we've really, really messed that up. Um, and, and so that's how I see that. Now, verse 17 is a really important one because it gets used in sort of twisted ways on a regular basis. It says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So what uh, people read this and they say, oh, well, see, we still have to follow the Old Testament um, because Jesus said the law was not going to pass away. He was just coming to fulfill it, which I find funny because most people who would say that there's a whole bunch of things in the Old Testament that they would never follow whatsoever. Things about eating shrimp and lobster and, and a whole bunch of other laws. And then they equivocate it with, oh, but those were these kind of laws, not these other kind of laws we have to follow. But I think what is what Jesus is saying here, and I've done videos on this before. Um, he says, "Until heaven and earth pass away, not a not, not a you know we would say a jot or tittle, not a not a dotting of the i will pass away until all is accomplished." So, what does that mean? Heaven and earth will pass away, but nothing's going to happen until all is accomplished. Heaven and earth pass away was just a common euphemism. They said until for all of time. You know, we, we might say for all of history, nothing will happen until this happens. And so that he was just using a, a common saying of the day, heaven and earth will pass away or not until heaven and will, earth will pass away. But this is what, what is important about this, that he says, I came to fulfill the law of the prophets, the law and the prophets, and nothing of that is going to pass away until all is accomplished. So this verse does not say, oh, you have to follow the Old Testament and the rules um, because Jesus said none of that is going to pass away. No, what he was saying here is none of that's going to pass away until all is accomplished. Jesus was saying, my deal is I'll live under the law so that other people don't have to be under the law. Don't think that I'm saying the law is abolished. But he says, if you watch me, that's what living under the law looks like. And some of that was getting food on the Sabbath and eating when the, the law said you don't do that. Some, you know, some of that was touching lepers, even though the law says you're supposed to touch lepers. If the law runs against the character of God to love people, that's like my, my friend Wooden Preacher you know, saying, well, you don't know Jesus. No, I do actually know Jesus. And what he was saying is the Sabbath wasn't made for, the man wasn't made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And so that doesn't mean man should follow this law. That means the law needs to fit what God is doing with human beings. And I know that's so hard for our evangelicals to hear. They're like, no, 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 you got to follow. You got to change to what God wants you to be. And I think God is saying, no, be in relationship with me and you will change, not change. And then be in relationship with me. The whole story of the Bible is like, understand your value to the creator 
Get in relationship with the creator of the universe and with the people around you, and you will be changed. Your works will come into line. It's a very different teaching than this evangelical mindset of like, no, you got to say this magic prayer, join our club, come to our churches on Sunday, get into our discipleship groups, and you might become holy. No, the story that Jesus was saying is holiness comes in connection with God, and we'll see that in more of Matthew 5. But the last thing about the fulfillment of the law and the prophets is the last thing Jesus said on the cross was, and I've told you guys this before, to telestai. It was a commercial term that meant the contract is fulfilled. All of this covenant is now fulfilled and the covenant is now complete. That covenant doesn't pass away. It was fulfilled, but none of us are held to that covenant anymore because of its fulfillment. And so what Jesus was saying here is, I didn't come to abolish the law, but fulfill them, and they will be in place until all is accomplished. And then at the end of his time on the cross, he said, all is accomplished. And so now the Old Testament law does not hold any sway over us because the law has been fulfilled. Does that make sense? So don't let anybody misquote and misuse that verse to say, oh, you have to follow the Ten Commandments um, because Jesus said he wouldn't abolish the law. All right, let's move on to Matthew 5, verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For uh, so, so people then would say, see, see, he's saying you have to teach the law and follow the law. But, but remember, the, the numbers that we have in there that make the verses and divide thoughts weren't in there in the original text. Those were put in there later. So I believe verse 19 and 20 go together. They're, they're one thought, not two different thoughts. And so they'll be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the temple of heaven. So Jesus isn't saying you have to follow the commandments here. What he's constantly saying, thank you, Barbell, good to see you. What he's constantly saying is, okay, you want to obtain righteousness in God's favor? that you have to be as good as the Pharisees are. They were considered the most holy of people. And you've got to be better than them. In fact, you have to be perfect. And so what he's saying here is, if your value is related in your way that you obey rules, obey the law, then your righteousness has to be more than those most righteous people on earth. You've got to be better than those guys. And who was better than those guys? Jesus was better than those guys. He was the fulfillment of what he was saying here. So he's not saying you watching this TikTok or YouTube today have to be better than the Pharisees. He's saying, I'm going to set a new standard that's better than those guys to show you that it's not about obeying rules that gets you in relationship with heaven. It is about understanding that heaven wants to have relationship with you and saying, cool, let's do it. And as we have that relationship with God and heaven and a morality that Jesus came to display and we walk that out, we will be changed from the inside out and we will change the world. Do you, do you get the nuanced difference I'm talking about here? What Jesus is constantly saying, if righteousness by following the law 
is what gets you connected to God. This is the standard. You see, so he would say today, you see Mother Teresa and how good she was. You've got to be better than that. If that's your standard, if, if you want to get God's favor and get in relationship with God by being a good person, you've got to be better than the best person you know. You know, that grandmother, that aunt that were so holy and righteous, they weren't good enough. You've got to be better than them. But if your righteousness is based on God's love for humanity and his desire to pour himself out on all flesh, all people, then forget the rules. Just go to that relationship. Run to that relationship. Run to your value that the creator of the universe thinks you're really valuable. And if you run to that value, you'll be a better person. I just think it's such a better teaching. Let me see, how much time do I have left? So let me go to one more here. So again, constantly, when you read the Bible, like when you read Romans and it looks like Paul is saying, you have to repent and do this, know that constantly one of the argument tactics of the day was, I'm gonna take your premise and we're gonna set up your premise, right? And then I'm gonna bring a new premise to you. And so that's what we see happening here in verses 21 and 22. And this is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite verses that I use a lot when we're, particularly when we're talking about the anti-abortion, angry, staunch movement of the church. Matthew 5, 21 says, you have heard it said to those of old, again, that was your ancestors by the prophets, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. It's not a verse that we talk about enough. Thank you, Kristen, for sharing this live video. Whoever can share, I really appreciate it. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 are passages that I don't think we talk about enough and understand enough. Let me translate this into modern day language. Jesus would say, you've heard it said, don't commit abortion and that the abortionist is evil and that you need to stand for laws that will ban abortion. But I tell you, if you use that belief to call somebody a baby killer, you're the one deserving of the hell of fire. You're the one deserving of hellfire. If you let that change your heart to be angry at the world around you, you're the problem here, not them. Don't believe me? He's saying, you've heard it say don't murder. You've heard it say don't murder. We all agree murder is bad, right, 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 right. Yeah, but I'm telling you, if you call your brother a fool, that that term roca, that was a very common, like if somebody was not living right, you could just go roca and, and proclaim a curse on their head. It's pretty common practice. And he's saying, no, if you do that, you're the one who's wrong. You're, you're as bad as the murderer. And he would say today, if you call somebody a baby killer because of their stance on abortion, you're just as bad as you think they are. That is exactly what he was saying. 
And our evangelicals think, no, my job is to be staunch for God and tell everybody where they're wrong because I'm going to save them from going to hell. And Jesus says, if that belief causes you to feel like you can condemn people and it causes your heart to condemn them and even be able to feel like you can wash your hands and shake the dust off your clothes for them, you're the problem here. You're the problem in culture. You're what I want to change, says the Lord. I wish we could see that, but we've been taught differently for so long. I don't think this can ever be turned. Jesus came to destroy the religious system. Matthew 5 is evidence that he looked at the religious system and said, you are bad religious system. You've got to go. Because I came to set people free, said Jesus. And your system is putting people into bondage and it's not okay. So Christian, you can be 100% right on abortion and 100% out of alignment with God's heart. Being right-wing voter, voting for Sarah Palin, a terrible candidate for vice president, doesn't make you a good Christian. Voting terrible people into office because of their anti-abortion stance does not please God. Period. Because God wants his glory to be shown. What did we read earlier? Let your light shine that they may see your good works, not your testimony, not your apologetics, not your ability to bring them into the club by praying the sinner's prayer. It says so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. What we do and how we live are to draw people to the kingdom of heaven, not our convincing argument. And we've made it about being able to convince people that we're right and they need to come and believe as we believe. All right, I'll stop there. Man, I wish I could go on. It's so good, Matthew 5. We'll come back to it next week. I could probably stay in Matthew 5 for weeks and weeks and weeks. So what are your thoughts about what I shared there? You guys on YouTube, I'd love to hear from you if they're letting you comment. I don't know why YouTube makes it so hard for people to comment. I hope you can. Let me know if you can. Um, I wonder if, oh, I know part of the problem is I think I'm on the wrong channel. Let me, let me see if I can switch this out. Hang on for a second while I, while I do this. Maybe if I do that, that'll make a difference. All right, Vernie, thanks for saying hi. Let me try that. Now, guys on YouTube, see if you can comment. I would love to hear your comments. TikTok, guys, what are you thinking about Matthew 5? And if you have a question, put it in the question box. Kristen says, Christ said he would know us based on how we love. Stay with Matthew 5. I'll come back to it next Saturday. I just, I want to interact with you guys some. By the way, my wife and I, are, are we've, got, we've got some things we have to do today, so we're taking a break on our live stream. 
So we're not going to have our 1030 show today. I'm awfully sorry about that. So YouTube guys, can you chat today? Are you, are they letting you chat? Let me know if you can. Just type in where you're from or something like that. He will know us based on our love. All right. Who has a question today? I don't, I don't think there are any questions in the question box yet. Nope. So I don't know. Somebody was asking questions earlier. So now's your chance. I'm here to interact with you and answer questions. Um, I can see your comments if you want to make thoughts on Matthew 5. It's like Jesus didn't make anything new in Matthew 5 to 7, but he got back to the heart. Have a great day, says Yamama. Okay, thanks, Yamama. Yeah, I think that's what he is all about. Yeah, uh, in case anybody missed it, if you want to ask a question, hit that question box at the bottom of the screen. I think evangelicals have redefined what love is, makes it easier to condemn and judge, says Kristen. Yes, because now we've defined love as me telling you how to stop from going to hell rather than letting my life display who God is and people be drawn to God through my good works. We've now defined it as I draw you to Christ by telling you how not to go to hell. And the way to not to go to hell is how I've defined it and how it's been defined to me in my teaching all my life. And it's a really corrupt religious belief. I think, I think God really hates it as much as Jesus hated the religious system that he was condemning in Matthew 5. That's why I say, I think Matthew 5 is talking to us Christians today, and we read it and we're like, oh, is it Matthew 5 great? And we don't realize that it is condemning us and that wooden preacher that was coming at me on TikTok today. Um, amen, Pastor. I'm curious about your opinion on virginity before marriage, especially for women. So I believe that all of our decisions on intimacy and relationship ought to be made somberly. Like, why am I doing this? I think the the taking of, of anything of intimacy and relationship and saying, here's a rule, it's a yes, no, is, um, that's, you know, that's what we're talking about, the law. The law is, here's a yes, no, do this good, don't do this bad. It gives me the opportunity to say, I don't do that, but I can be bad in all these other areas and declare myself good. But I do believe um, we need to make these decisions somberly. I'm, I'm an emotional well-being coach and, and, intimacy with other humans is is really taking a part of our soul and, and going to a deeper connection. And so, you know, sex before marriage can give us an emotional connection that becomes really difficult to unwind. And so I think those decisions have to be made with, with real thought of why am I doing this? Am I doing this out of a healthy decision that I'm making? Or am I doing this because I don't have any other way to find intimacy? So I'm just... I'm just reaching for something that's pretty simple to find intimacy. So I think that's a real thing we have to think about. Now, the purity culture that we taught in the church of women, if you have sex before marriage, you're a used up old washcloth. You're a chewed up piece of bubble gum is one of the most horrifying teachings I've ever imagined. I heard somebody saying the other day there, there was a man, of course, teaching sexual purity to young girls in a church, and he had a rose, and he's, you know, he basically said, "If you give up your virginity, this is you," and he smashed the rose. And 
there's nothing Christ-like about that teaching. God's guidance for us was not crafted to bring shame. Sometimes it can bring guilt. I like Brene Brown's take on guilt. Guilt is saying you did something wrong. Maybe you need to look at why you did that and fix it. And that can be really healthy. But shame says you are wrong. Guilt says you did something bad. Shame says you are bad. We all do things that we are like, oof, I wish I hadn't done that. I'd like to correct that. And that's good because that helps us interrelate uh, with other people in life. But shame says I am bad and what comes out of me is bad. And that's the danger of Christian teaching is like everything about you is bad. You're evil. You're dirt. If, if it wasn't for Jesus, you would just be fried to a crisp right now. And so it tells me I'm not capable of doing good things. In fact, I have Christians say that on a regular basis. Without Christ, humanity's not capable of anything good. And I'm like, boy, I see some of my non-Christian friends who seem like a lot better people than some of my Christian friends. I don't see the question box, says Brad. Um, yeah, uh, Kristen says it should be right next to the comment option. Has a question mark on it. So... You know, I think what we need to be telling our kids is let's focus on where your life is going to take you and what is, what is God's purpose for your life? What is, your, what is the value of who you are and, and what are the decisions you're making? Are they taking you towards that or away from that? Is it feeding your value and your purpose in life or is it taking you away from it? Is it feeding your relationship with heaven or is it taking you away from it? That's where the decision should be made. And when it, when it becomes a yes, no, right, wrong, this is good, this is bad choice, then, then we just create a whole realm. Like Romans says on a continual basis, like the law creates sin. Having rules doesn't take us away from sin. It actually creates the opportunity for sin. But relationship takes away that opportunity. Relationship means I get to say, why did you do that? Is it coming from a healthy place in you or an unhealthy place in you? And I think those are the really important questions that we need to be asking. Boy, I wish YouTube would let commenters comment. I, I just hate it. I've got to figure out what's going on with YouTube. I will really work on that this week. Oh, some people are saying you don't have the question box. You know, you may need to update your app. If you don't have the question box, you may be, you maybe need to update your app. Um, but go ahead and I can see the comments now and I've got, I've got about 15 more minutes. If you want to go ahead and put it in the comments, I'll try. Um, let's see somebody. Brad says, do you think that our God could be kind of different than the Bible says? I think God is very different than the God that evangelicals have interpreted God to be, and perhaps Catholics. Uh, I also think some of what we see in the Bible attributed to God is what was written by human beings at the time to say this is why this happened, and they attribute it to God, when in fact 
it was just human beings being human. And, you know, it's kind of like our insurance companies say act of God, you know, one of the things in, you know, an act of God changes our, our relationship with our insurance company. And, and so we're blaming God for something that either was just sort of natural, um, ecological events or natural human events. Um, yeah. So I think some of in the Bible is like God said to go commit genocide against these people. And that was in fact a human interpretation or, or a human explanation as to why they did something that's horrible. Like, like there are people today that would say, well, I did, I, I broke into the Senate chamber on January 6th because God wanted me to, God told me to, and they would write that as their story. God told me to, but they didn't actually hear from God on that. Thank you for sharing the live video, Angelito. That really helps uh, build my followership. Um, so Jay, Jabe Livy is asking about Matthew 517. What's your, what's your question, Jabe, on that? Sorry if I get your names wrong sometimes. It's hard to tell. Um, Brooke says, I completely agree with your sentiment on intimacy. Yeah, I, I'm not a like everything goes guy, you know, whatever feels good, do it. And I, and I don't think most human beings are. I think we need to make thoughtful decisions about our intimacy. And I think if we're in relationship with one another, we get to ask questions as to why are you doing that and how is it feeding your goal? I don't, I don't think it's like, hey, make your own decisions and do your own thing. But I also think the rigid, this is good, this is bad, this is yes, this is no, does nothing more than heap shame on people and has been a failure in keeping our children from having sex. I think a much better way is like, why are you making the decisions that you're making? Are you allowing yourself, maybe, and let's, let's even back it out from sex. Are you, are you allowing yourself to get into an online emotional attachment that you don't want to be in? See, that was one of the things with the Pharisees is they would say, as long as I don't cross this line, I can do everything else up to that. And that's why Jesus said, bull, <laughs> you say don't commit adultery. I say if you're sitting there lusting with your eyes, don't try then to tell me you're righteous and not thinking about it. It's, it's the it's the Mike Pence. You're, you're trying to show me how righteous you are by not having one-on-one -on -one meetings with women, but are you in fact saying by that, that A, women are second-class citizens who you have to protect yourself from and B, what is your issue that you can't sit there and not have a professional meeting with a woman without falling into lust in your heart after her? That's a you issue. That's not the woman's issue. And um, we need to look at these things differently. And I, I think that's exactly what Jesus was saying on an ongoing basis. You say don't commit adultery. I say what you do is not good enough. You're you're making the rules to condemn everybody else. Let me make a rule that condemns you. And he did that to religious people so that he could go to the non-religious and say, screw those guys. Let me tell you something. God does love you. They're wrong. They're wrong in saying God doesn't love you. Wow, I don't know what just happened. I just got a huge envelope thing there. Oh, that came from Jesus in a democracy, a birthday cake. Well, it's not my birthday, but that's awesome. Thank you guys for the gifts. Hi, Jesus in democracy. Man, I'm praying for you guys. You got a lot going on in your household right now. I love you guys so much. Thank you, Angie, for sending me the confetti. 
Brooke says, I want to teach my kids this Christianity. Thank you, Brooke. Well, whatever I can do to help them. I have some folks that do some children's get together teaching, I think on Sunday, I'll have to ask what they do. But yeah, let's teach our kids to be thoughtful. Not here's the, here's the rules, do this or don't do this. Although you get to have rules with your kids. Thank you for the disco ball, Charles. But just saying harsh yes or no's that give them shame and guilt, it's, it doesn't work. The way we've done Christianity for my whole lifetime, it doesn't work. It drove me away from God, not to God. It made God seem like this really far off evil judge when in fact he's a, a passionate lover pursuing us every day of our life saying, can I not show you as the creator of the universe, how amazingly valuable you are to me. And so I just want to say to every human being out there, screw those evangelicals. They're wrong. They're wrong in what they're teaching. It is wrong at its core. It is rotten at its core. And God is judging it in our lifetime. I think that's why we're seeing it become so extreme and so nasty out there because God is judging it. We see Sorry, I go to a lot of concepts at, at the same time, and sometimes I feel like I need to slow down. I'm feeling so emotional this morning over this live. That's awesome, Brooke. Thank you. In the story of the exodus of Egypt, the Bible tells us, you know, these plagues happen, and after the early ones, it says Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then in the middle it says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And then at the end, it says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Like It's like God says, if you're going to go this direction, I'm going to really push you in that direction so we can come to the conclusion of what happens. And that's what I think is happening in the evangelical church today. It's becoming so extreme because God is saying, I'm hardening your heart now. If you guys have chosen this track, then I'm going to push you down that track. And evangelicalism has become rotten at its core. And God has said, now I'm hardening your heart so that it can come to its natural conclusion. And I don't believe evangelicalism as we know it will survive into the next generation. And Jesus in the first century said, hey, you see that temple? That thing will not have one stone standing on itself. He said that will not survive into the next generation. And the interesting thing is he didn't say, and you should pray that that doesn't happen. Now, I think he actually came to be the one pushing that religious system to its end. And I believe we're seeing the same thing happen. So I call myself post-evangelical because... I believed that evangelicalism, I was in it, and I believe now God's taking me to what's coming after it. So that's why we have a Sunday gathering on Sunday mornings. Because we're looking at what does the post-evangelical world look like. If you can, by the way, I would love it if you would join my NP Patreon community. It's where it's the subscriptions that we sell for financial, uh, for the, the financial income for the Pastor Paul channel and the nonpartisan evangelical ministry. Um, we're not a not-for-profit. We're not a religious not-for-profit. We are a for-profit company. And so what we offer 
is a subscription where you get access to a private NPE group where I'll write things like you'll get, like I did a podcast with Doug Paget this last week that I released on Thursday, but the week before he did a live in our private group. And if you were in our Patreon community, you could be a part of that private group. So it starts at $5.99 a month. And so if you want to join here, I'll, I'll type in the, I'll type in the, Web, web address where you can sign up, or you can go to my website, pastor-paul.com. And there's a Patreon button in that upper right-hand corner, but sometimes people can't find it on there. So I'll just give you the direct address here as well. And some people are like, oh, why do you talk about money? It's because I have a house and children and <laughs> I, I need them to eat and I need to pay the mortgage like anybody else. And this is how I do it. So I don't really ask for donations. You can do that if you want. I don't, I don't do that though. Um, we sell subscriptions and we sell shirts and things like that. And also I have my book, Joseph comes to town. Um, it's a novel and it's my view of what Jesus would say to the evangelical church. Were he on earth today? It's a modern day parable. Um, it's a story of a young man coming into a right-wing Christian town and starting to um, critique it a little bit and how that creates a crisis. Um, and so if you join at the $12.99 level on my Patreon page, I'll send you an autographed copy of that book. And if you join even at just the $5.99 level, you get access to the audiobook version of this. Joseph comes to town. Sorry, I, I feel like I'm going to sneeze and I'm trying not to sneeze. So... Joseph Comes to Town is the book. And if you go to that uh, website there, patreon.com slash NPE podcast and sign up, uh, that would be awesome. Not-for-profit is a fallacy. We all need money to survive. Profit is necessary. Yeah, we made the decision. Whoops, sorry, I just kicked that thing. We made the decision to be for-profit. Um, and so we knew that that would take away the ability for people to give us tax-deductible donations. Um, but what we wanted to do was we, we wanted to a, be able to talk about whatever we wanted to talk about. And I believe churches violate their, their not-for-profit status on a regular basis, and they shouldn't do that. So we wanted to be able to talk about religion and politics. And so being for-profit gives us that right to do that. And I want to pay taxes. I want to contribute to roads and schools and police and fire in my community and in my state and in my country. So that's why we made that decision. So if you would go be a subscriber on there, it would mean a lot to me. That's we're, we're trying to grow that. I also do coaching. And so if you would be interested in some spiritual or emotional well-being coaching, I have several different levels at which we do that. Um, if you want to do that, send me a DM or go to um, pastor-paul.com and contact me through the events contact page. I see you guys talking about meditation. That's a lot of, uh, I, I do teach a lot about quiet time, meditation, concentrating on who you are um, and seeing uh, that through mindfulness in my coaching. So Jeanette on YouTube, yay, a comment from YouTube. She says, hardened hearts also caused eyes to be blind and ears not to hear. That is, you're speaking my language now, Jeanette. Thank you. Because I totally agree. That's what Jesus said about the religious system of the day. He said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and of, and of the Sadducees or and of Herod or the Herodians. He's, that 
that religiously political mindset, like we see in the right-wing evangelical church, he said it's a leaven. I think today, if he was teaching that lesson, he would say, it's a virus that spreads through everything that you are and ultimately causes you to not have eyes to see or ears to hear. That means ultimately lose your ability to see and hear truth. And I think it's part of why Christians are flocking to QAnon because we didn't beware Jesus' warning to avoid the leaven or the virus of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so later then he was sitting with the disciples and they say, why do you talk in these silly stories all the time? Why do you use these parables? And he said, because I, when I tell parables, people that don't have eyes to see or ears to hear, people who don't understand what God is doing in the season, they won't be able to understand what I'm saying. But you guys who are close in and pressing into relationship, you're going to be able to see the mysteries of the universe that so many have longed to see. So, yeah. All right. Anybody else have anything? I don't see any questions in the question box. I think if you're not seeing the question box at the bottom of your screen, it may be that you need to update your app. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. Psalms 119. Love meditating on the Psalms, Kristen. Do you have any recommendations on how to go about studying the Psalms? So I personally have found the Psalms like don't need a lot of study. They're pretty self-evident. Now, what can be helpful is you get a really good commentary. And thank you, Sydney G for asking that question. Get a really good commentary. So I use something called the Blue Letter Bible, and I read the commentaries of a man named David Guzik. Now, I don't agree with everything he says. He's much more conservative in his view of the Bible than me. But but one thing he does is he, he does a great job of kind of sharing the history around things. So sometimes it's, it's helpful to me to know, like if I'm reading Psalm 13, that, you know, some say this was a Psalm that David wrote when his son was re rebelling, his son Absalom was rebelling against him. And so it's like, think about how much pain that had to be for David to have a son trying to overthrow his kingship. And he wrote that Psalm. And so that kind of helps me. But for the most part, the Psalms, I find to be pretty self-edifying when I read them. It's, hey, life's a bitch. I'm mad, God. Why aren't you helping me? But, but you're my hope, and I'm going to stick with my hope in you. So that's my recommendation for studying the Psalms. I try to read other parts of the Bible than read a Psalm and a proverb every day. So yeah, I like, I like the Blue Letter Bible app. I use it quite a bit. It's very cool. Where can I find your Sunday services? 10 a.m. Pacific time, we're online. Uh, we stream it live on TikTok. It's really low quality, and I'm sorry about that. But there's nothing else I can do with TikTok but point the camera at the screen. Um, but if you want to join us in the Zoom room where you can be interactive and meet people and such, then you go to my website, pastor-paul.com, pastor-paul.com, go to the events contact page, and it has the Zoom link in there and the times and all of that stuff. By the way, I want to remind everybody again, my wife and I are not doing our live stream at 1030 Pacific today. We just have some other things going on in our day that we're not going to be able to do that. Sydney G says, yes, history and context is so important. Thank you. Yeah. 
J J Livy or JB Livy says, I'll get that app. It's a good one. I, I like it because it lets me look at a lot of different translations as well. Kristen says, we'll miss you guys. Thank you. Um, we love it. We love it. And we miss it if we don't do it. But we've kind of decided like we need to change up our lives just a little bit. So we're not going to quit doing it. But, um, you know, COVID has become a little bit like Groundhog Day. And so we're trying to break things up a little bit. So we could take a, like a weekend vacation here shortly. And, and so we would miss that weekend just because for our mental health, we've got to kind of break some things up a little bit. But just know we love doing that live stream on Saturdays. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up in our lives. So we're going to be talking about that and love that you guys find that helpful. And, and that really means a lot to us. So Rainbow, did I answer your question? Pastor-Paul.com events contact page. Um, it has the link to our service, our schedule, and hopefully we'll see you there tomorrow at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Tammy says, love Blue Letter Bible and also version app. Yeah, I used to use version a little bit more. Um, yeah, Charles asked, how is my son's MRI? So they told us he doesn't have to have surgery, um, but they said he's going to, he has to be out for three months from baseball. And so we've been sort of processing that through in our household and it's been a little bit hard. So love it if you would keep praying for me <laughs> and, and my son. Any tips on where to start if you are entering a deconstruction phase? Man, that's such a good question. Such a good question. Kristen says, I'm so sorry. It's a great time for a break. Yeah, thank you guys for remembering and asking. That's really special that you care about us like that. Boy, tips on where to start if you're entering a deconstruction phase. So one thing I, I would say, there are just some great people like Barrett, uh, Barrett Carroll, I think is his uh, TikTok name or April A. Joy, uh, Jeremy C., uh, Jeremy C. Radio, um, just some people that are talking about what deconstruction looks in their life. Oh, I, I have a young man that I love that he doesn't have nearly enough followers on TikTok. His name is Pondering Worshipper on TikTok. I would definitely recommend you go see Pondering Worshipper's page because he's, he's asking great questions. Some of what happens in a deconstruction is we can just be, screw it, I'm mad at the church, I'm throwing it out. Um, but pondering worshiper is saying, I, I love Jesus. I love my faith. So how do I go through this deconstruction and ask really healthy questions rather than just being angry and throwing it all out? So pondering worshiper is definitely somebody I would admit. So one, one of the things I'm saying is there's some great TikTokers who are asking great questions. And then we have an evangelical-ish podcast on Wednesday nights at six Pacific, um, where we're um, having these discussions. Now, who just said that? Kristen, of course, my friend Kristen. She says, Christ words alone are healthy. She says, get back to gospel basics. That is definitely something I would recommend. Read the gospels, like forget Paul for a while. Forget it. Now, I love Romans and Hebrews, and I think they're important in deconstruction, but just go back and read about Jesus and imagine Jesus if his goal was to come and say, 
first century religious system, first century cultural status quo. I'm here to destroy you. I'm here to overturn the cultural norm, the mindset. Read it from that perspective and say, what is he saying? If, if you read the gospels and say, this is a Jesus that, that were he Joseph on earth today, he would be saying, hey, evangelical church, you're the problem today. And read it from that perspective. Read it that almost any time he says, these people won't inherit the kingdom of heaven. He's always talking to religious people, not sinners, not sinners. He's talking to religious people and read it from that vantage point. Second thing I would say is, just know you get to do a deconstruction. God's not mad at you. But, but if you do that deconstruction in concert with God's Spirit, it says Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. There will be a reconstruction on the other side of that because you don't want to just break everything down and find yourself sitting in a mess wondering where you're going to go next. But you want to have a deconstruction that's leading you to a better place not just leave you in a void, but taking you to a better place. By the way, I'm still on a deconstruction slash reconstruction journey and have been for a long time, but, but significantly entered a new phase in these last couple of years. Um, Kristen, oh no, Jabe Livy says, I joined an Episcopalian church and I love it. They call themselves a church for refugees. Gain knowledge, read, read, read the Bible. But yeah, just but but you have to take off your old filter of how you used to read the Bible. You have to take off the, the old filter of how you were taught to read the Bible and say, I can read the Bible in a different way now. I can read the Bible in a way of a God who isn't endorsing the religious system of our day. In fact, he's pushing it to its ultimate end. Boy, I love your comments to each other. Deconstruction leads to stronger faith in the true God. I think if you do deconstruction in, here's my other recommendation on deconstruction, do it with somebody. <laughs> have people you can talk to. And I've been thinking about maybe I need to have a nighttime discussion group where people can come on and say, you know, I'm wondering about this. I'm wondering about this so that we can do this together. Would would that interest you guys? If you would be interested in having sort of a deconstruction group that meets via Zoom and has these discussions, I'd be willing to do it. I just feel like it's, I, I just feel like it's been hard to get to draw people to something like that. So, I mean, maybe we could do it as a book group around my book. I just don't want people to think I'm just trying to sell books. Don't do it alone. Have somebody that you can ask scary questions from and bounce those off of. So if you would like to do a book group or, or a deconstruction discussion group, send me a DM and, and we'll figure out a time to do it. I, I said, do you want to have a Bible study? And a bunch of you responded. And that's why Bible talk came about. But yeah, if you, if you would be, if you want to join that, send me a DM and I'll figure out how to do it. Yes, please. I am on the deconstruction journey with my husband. I, well, gosh, if, I mean, if I could have 10, that would be willing to, to do that, you know, and maybe we say, hey, we're going to do this for eight weeks or something like that. 
um, I'd be glad to do that. Revelation 2, 2 through 5. I know you have tried those who say they are apostles and found them liars. All right, guys, I'm going to have to take off in just a few minutes. Yeah. Meeting Jesus again for the first time. I think I've read that. Who's the author of that? Jabe Libby. Is that, a, is that a Brian McLaren book? Oh, that's, that's another recommendation. Read Brian McLaren stuff. Read uh, Greg Boyd. Yeah, read some of the, the good deconstructionist, reconstructionist. Marcus Borg. I don't know Marcus Borg. Can you DM that to me, Jabe Livy? I, I can't, I don't have anything to write it down right now because I'm looking for a new book. I may, I may be getting ready to write my next one, too. Oh, that's the passage, Black, A. Blackwell. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you. You lost your first love. Yeah. Okay, guys, DM me if you would like to do a deconstruction dis discussion group. Yeah, left your first love. Yeah. Remember, Matthew 5 says... Let your light shine so they will see your good works. He doesn't say, let your light shine so you can win them to Christ. Let your light shine so you can get them to say a sinner's prayer. It says, let your light shine so they can see your good works and give glory to God. Thank you, Charles. I, it's time for me to write my next book, I think. I just don't have time. It's so time-consuming. Writing this book, I was up all night for weeks and weeks and weeks, writing till two, three in the morning. It grips you when you start writing a book. It's crazy. I love it, though. I really do love it. All right, guys, I love you so much. Thank you for sharing. Follow my page if you're not a follower already. You guys are so kind to share, to let others know, to follow, to join my Patreon group. Give me a, a little financial help in this. Be a subscriber so we can grow this thing. You guys are awesome. Love you so much. Bye.